everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. Hello, everyone. It is Brandon back with another Turbo. The topic today is a, a look at a cognitive bias. Cognitive biases have... Uh, gotten a little more attention in recent years, well, maybe recent decades by this point. And I think that's true in the general mainstream to some extent, uh, the academic world to a greater extent, and particularly in medicine. And I think that's for the best because these are flaws in our thought processes, which are common to us really as humans. You know, we, we can't rise above them regardless of our training. Uh, although we can learn to mitigate them. But they are, there are errors, and they're systematic errors that we tend to apply universally just because of how our brains are wired. They're often side effects of um, shortcuts that we make in thinking or uh, kind of natural results of how we're put together. And, you know, if we were 100% rational, crystalline computer life forms, we might not have these, but we're not. We're, we're big blobs of wet jelly, and, and therefore we don't think correctly all the time. And in fact, we don't cr- think correctly probably most of the time. We're just able to get by. But one of the most important ways that we can manage these flaws is by knowing about them. When you recognize that these flaws exist, then you can start to recognize them, at least in other people. And then, of course, the highest level is recognizing them in yourself, ideally before you make them, or at least as you're making them. Uh, Doing it in retrospect is uh, always a little easier, although it may be too late. So the bias I want to talk about today is called the halo effect. And the halo effect, uh, you know, halo for angels, is just the idea that as humans, we tend to believe or assume that a person, you know, another person who has some sort of positive attribute, something good about them, you know, good in your eyes at least, must be good in other ways. So, you know, it's like looking at someone and, you know, believing they must be an angel. They're sort of generally positive. The most classic example and one that I think probably hits us all is if you meet somebody or you know them and they are physically attractive, part of your brain will tend to assume that they are good at other things, good in other ways. Uh, So, you know, all things being equal, the more attractive person you're probably going to assume deep down is better at playing cribbage or something, or they are nicer, or they are smarter, Um, kind of whatever the attribute is, they're probably going to score a little higher to you just in your most implicit assumptions just because of their physical appearance. And uh, the opposite of this also applies. So looking at it as a negative, um, I think this is sometimes called like the reverse halo effect or the, the devil effect or something like that. But assuming that people who have a negative trait 
must have others. They are overall worse. It's like deep down, we like to simplify things. And therefore, we like to assume that people are just sort of good or bad. You know, we like to pigeonhole them. If this were a, a movie, we want to put them into the slot of either hero or villain. Uh, and of course, that's not really right, right? People are not one thing. People are a, a collection of things. And the, you know, the key thing to recognize here is that often those things have essentially nothing to do with each other. And of course, there may be some overlap. Uh, it is reasonable to assume that, I don't know, somebody who is good at reading may be a little better at writing. Or someone who's good at one language may, you know, have a predisposition to learn another. You know, things where there is a, a shared skill set. But, you know, there is no reason to think that a person who is taller is going to be any better at endocrinology or something. Um, but that's what we want to think. Uh, in philosophy, my old major, this is actually one of the philosophical questions people sometimes tackle. You know, what what is it that makes this kind of grab bag of physical parts and even processes in the brain, you know, this this little aspect or anatomic portion of the brain that handles memory and this other one that handles vision and this other one that handles executive function or whatever. What is it that takes all of those functions and lets us call it a one unified person? You know, what what brings them all together as opposed to them all just being separate things? Um, we won't get into philosophy today, but you can see how uh, that is sort of a confusing concept, and therefore, when we think about it, we want to lump things together. We want to assume that if you're good at one thing, you're good at everything. Why does this matter as a bias? I'm going to give you the most important example first. I think that one of the unfortunate realizations we've made in recent years, particularly uh, as we went through and are dealing with the early aftermath of the COVID pandemic, which shoved critical care to the forefront of uh, really the mainstream public in a way that I'm not sure it has been at least any time recently. Um, but it also created the opportunity for there to be uh, highly visible, even public figures that arose from critical care. Um, and we are seeing these people become more vocal, uh, become more in the public eye. Things like social media have helped with that. And we are seeing that, how do I put this? The people who are noteworthy or famous or have big names in medicine and even in critical care are not necessarily any good at other things. People who are recognized experts, for whatever reason, may have very bad opinions. I don't want to get too much into naming names here because I don't want to get into any arguments. But you know what? I also don't feel like I have to shy away from it. I'll give the, you know, the, the ultimate example here. Um, Paul Merrick, 
was um, really one of the, the giants of critical care over the past few decades. He's among the, the most published researchers in critical care. Uh, he was the director of uh, the ICU at his hospital, EVMS, and really just was a name that almost everyone knew and for the most part respected for his, his time in the field and his contributions. And then after you know reports that he had uh, essentially discovered what sounded like essentially a cure to sepsis, uh, and then in more recent years with COVID, his work in very vocally um, advocating for a uh, cocktail of, of treatments for COVID and for preventing it and for dealing with protracted symptoms, which really had, had no evidence. Um, but, you know, he, he was working with this, this group, the Frontline Critical Care Coalition, FLCCC, uh, which really has, has, over the years and months, deteriorated into what I think we could all call pseudoscience. Um, but very, very loudly advocating for uh, a bunch of unproven treatments and, and <laughs> have started to you know, straight up denounce proven things like vaccination. Um, it, it's essentially quackery. And Paul Merrick, who was once this this huge respected figure in critical care, is right at the forefront of it. And, and at this point has has left or you could say lost his position, is no longer practicing medicine, and at one point actually had his license suspended so the question you have to ask when you see a story like this, which is, I think, incredibly sad, by the way, is, you know, how does this happen? And, you know, you can answer it in various ways. You could say that he changes a person. You could say that uh, there were, you know, mercenary forces at work. You know, he's pursuing money or something. But I think the easiest answer gets back to our topic today which is to say, why wouldn't he be like this? The only reason we think that this person should have a, a great deal of authority in what he says and basically should have good opinions is because he was successful and prolific in other areas. But that is an example of the halo effect. Let's say Paul Merrick wrote... Uh, a very widely cited review paper, and he, he indeed does have many. Why should that mean that he has good opinions about how to treat COVID? This is not a, an area where it comes down to uh, being widely read or good at synthesizing information in written form, which is what it would take to write a good review piece. This is a, a new area of science. And what does it take to have good opinions about it? Oh, I don't know. Some sort of judgment, um, you know, sort of other skills. But there is no reason why being good at that first thing should make him good at the second thing. You know, we see, at this point, we've seen far too many examples of trained physicians, uh, you know, sometimes relatively highly ranked in academia and so on, or at the very least, presumably good at their jobs. Whatever it is they do, they do it successfully and effectively, uh, who clearly, again, have had very poor opinions. You know, many people know about Dr. Oz, who was a, 
as far as every opinion and anecdote I've heard, was an effective and successful cardiothoracic surgeon until he went on to host a TV show and have a try at politics and really promote a bunch of, again, quackery. And again, you could say this was because of money and other things. But again, I have to ask, why would we think that a cardiothoracic surgeon who is good at doing cardiothoracic surgery should have any opinions worth listening to about things like weight loss or wellness or politics? We shouldn't. That is a bias. That is an error. Thinking that is us conflating two different skills with little or nothing to do with each other. So I, I think this is a, an opportunity for us to try and reel this back a little bit and to try to, in our minds, separate these areas. And to say that because one person is good at something, is no reason to think they'd be good at anything else, even though that is what we assume and in some ways is how... Uh, how this field is is built, you know, especially in more academic settings. People who make progress in their careers and rise in rank and notoriety and so on, um, they just tend to be accorded greater credibility, more of a seat at a table. And, you know, then you may be wondering why this full professor who's a chair of a department or something and, you know, did the seminal work and something about genetics um, is, I don't know, sitting on this committee that has to do with uh, autopsies at your hospital and is just sort of an idiot about it. Why wouldn't he be an idiot about that? That's not what he is good at. And there's no reason why his thing would make that thing any better. And again, flip this around. We like to villainize people. So if you're sitting in your chair and you are thinking about, uh, I don't know, the the consultant that you have to deal with sometimes, who you just hate. You know, they're very, they're very rude to you. You really think they have bad opinions about something. Maybe they're a pain to get good consults out of or get them to come in or, or whatever. And yet you're trying to reconcile that with the fact that they really are good at something. You know, they're good in the OR or whatever. And you're like, how can that be? Well, again, why shouldn't that be? Why should a person who sucks at something not be good at something else? There is no reason that shouldn't be true. We really need to start teasing apart these different skill sets and, you know, almost to think of them as belonging to different people. You know, the, that, the surgeon who is good in the OR and the surgeon who is a, just a total jerk are sort of different people. And of course, in reality, they're the same person. But the connection between them is not one that you're going to be able to, to kind of draw with a pencil, and it may confuse you the more you try. You know, how can the serial killer uh, also be a, a loving father to his children? How, you know, how can the war criminal also be a... A quite moving poet. These are things that seem to violate something in our view of the world, but in reality, why should they? So, you know, when you consider someone in this field of medicine and, you you know, you're sort of 
assessing them, you know, perhaps for their ability to do something, or perhaps just to know whether you should listen to them. I, I really think we should strive to evaluate them on in a very limited band, really only as far as the specific skills or or background or track record that apply to that thing. If you start saying things like, wow, this guy has been doing this for 30 years. Wow, this guy is um, you know, widely published. This guy has high academic rank. This guy wrote this guideline, you know, whatever. Therefore, we should listen to him. I should listen to him. He has an opinion worth hearing, whatever. You know, unless those areas apply to what you're talking about, I'm not sure that's true. Really, what a lot of those things prove is nothing more or less than the fact that this guy has kind of, quote, seniority. He has been around long enough to do those things. He had the interest in doing those things and pursuing them. And sometimes that he uh, had the ability and willingness to uh, kind of, quote, play the game, uh, you know, to work with the system in the ways you have to, to kind of climb the relevant ladders, you know, especially in things like leadership. Yeah, that's often what it's about, you know, the ability to rise in rank and, uh, you know, become the boss of various things and so on. A lot of that is about uh, getting along with people and so on, which, you know, is a skill set. But again, does it have anything to do with their opinion about implementing CRRT in your ICU or whatever? Probably not. So I don't necessarily expect any of us to successfully excise this cognitive bias from our brains. But I think if we at least give it some thought, we are better situated to try and mitigate it. And just when you have that little, that little thought, that little moment of cognitive dissonance where you're wondering, how could this person say that? This is your answer. And maybe you could do a little better with not making the assumption at all the next time around. Talk to you next time.